All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. I don't know what that hum is up here, Mike, but we got just a constant hum up here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, as you open up your Bible there, I appreciate your prayers from my mother, and many of you have been asking about that. All I can say is she's stable right now. She's in ICU down in Vineland, and uh, so they're trying to figure out what's going on, and uh, they believe she has an infection in her intestines and some other problems there, and so if you can uh, pray for her, I appreciate that. Uh, Hinder Not Your Soul is the title of the message today, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading, uh, we're going to read a lot of verses together, but in verse 17 down to verse 48, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Uh, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not in no wise pass from the law till I am, I'm sorry, till all be fulfilled. Uh, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall uh, be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no uh, case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it has, uh, was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka uh, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go the way, thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thy adversary quickly, whilst uh, thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast in the prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost fathering. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, thou that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is uh, profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that uh, thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, uh, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform uh, unto the Lord thine oaths. 
But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Uh, ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, uh, but whosoever shall smite, thy, uh, smite thee on thy right cheek, uh, turn to him the other also. And if any man will save thee, say, I'm sorry, if any man will sue thee at thy law and take away thy coat, uh, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that uh, would borrow of thee, turn not away. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Uh, bless them that do curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, and for he maketh the son, his Son uh, to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful passage. Uh, help us to learn just a few truths out of this lengthy portion of Scripture. Uh, Lord, there's so much that uh, we can grasp and understand that can be applied in a practical way. And so, Lord, is, Lord help us to do so. Uh, Lord, we are always mindful of the fact there's there's always the possibility of someone being here that's never really been saved. And I pray that they might uh, realize how much God loves them. And Lord, there is an opportunity for them to be saved through faith in Christ. And I pray for each of us as believers, Lord, that we might truly live a, a life that will impact those around us. It will cause those who see us uh, conducting ourselves in a different way than what the world does. Uh, they would be uh, stirred in curiosity, Lord, to know this God that we worship and serve. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts in a great way today. And uh, we'll be careful to give you thanksgiving and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 29 and 30. It says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of your members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of your, uh, thy members should perish and not that by thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now and we know Jesus is not literally saying to cut your hand off and pluck your eye out. But as a metaphor, he's saying uh, it in reference to uh, the tragedy that you would have to face if your eye or your hand is an offense to you, it could condemn you to hell and keep you from trusting Christ as your Savior. This chapter really 
is the beginning of the great sermon, what we know is called the great sermon on the mount. Chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of uh, Matthew uh, is the sermon on the mount. And uh, many people think, well, I can be saved if I just read and study the Sermon on the Mount and I live like the, Jesus gives instruction uh, to us in chapter 5. The reality is you can't be saved by keeping the Sermon on the Mount or trying to keep the Ten Commandments or any other parts of the law uh, that may be given to us. The, the Sermon on the Mount was so designed to expose the inner attitudes of man, the problem that man had to reveal to him his need for salvation. And so Jesus is trying to help the, those that he's teaching to understand you have to be careful what is hindering your soul, what is stopping you from surrendering your life to Christ. Uh, and so whatever it is, it needs to be cut off and it needs to be removed uh, so that your soul might be right with the Lord. In this chapter, he deals with the Pharisees. In uh, verse 20, notice he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That was a powerful statement to those that were listening because people respected the scribes and respected the Pharisees. They looked at them as the religious leaders, as being above everyone else, righteously and yet Jesus is telling them that you have to exceed that righteousness or you'll not get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, literally that statement condemns everyone because the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees were not going to get them into heaven and certainly if we did not the people that were associated with them were not living a life that exceeded their righteousness they were not going to get into heaven so certainly that statement was a great attention giver in reference to their need to turn to Christ. So he deals with the Pharisees in verse 20. In verse 22, he deals with anger. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Rachel shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And so this relationship that we ought to have with one another is very clear that he, God is, is commanding us not to be angry with one another. That's why Paul would say, be angry and sin not. And uh, certainly there's emotional uh, stresses that come in our life, but we do not have to allow that emotional distress or that anger to blossom into something that's going to destroy our testimony, going to destroy our relationships, and even lead us to maybe doing harm to someone. So he deals with anger. Uh, he also deals with lust in verse 28. Uh, where we uh, read through chapter 5, he says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committeth adultery with her already in his heart. And so this certainly is a powerful verse in reference to the Internet problems uh, that uh, people have, and especially among men having problems with pornography and things like that. And uh, any type of conduct like that is is literally... Uh, uh, just as damning and damaging as uh, the actual act of adultery. And Jesus said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You already need to get that thing right. So he deals with lust. In verse 32, he deals with divorce. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, 
causes her commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And so he deals with this whole concept of the adultery. Moses gave a bill of divorcement to the children of Israel in the Old Testament because of the abuses against the women. And he provided that as a means of being able to protect them. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, if you read through the scriptures, he deals with divorce. He says, uh, that's not the case. That's not the way it was in the beginning. God did not intend for a man and a woman to marry and then be divorced. And then he deals with honesty in verse 37. Just kind of summarizing the chapter here where we read, he says here, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever, uh, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And so if we're saying yes, then let's be honest and say yes. If the answer is no, let's be honest and say no. And uh, you have to be willing to be honest. And uh, I was talking to someone, I don't know, it was probably about a month or so ago, and discussing a few issues in their life and going over a few things. And I, t I told them, I said that flat out, I just said this, look, one thing I, you know, I want you to be assured of is that I will be honest with you. If what you're doing is right, I'll say you're right. If what you're doing is wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Why? Because Jesus requires of us and commands of us to be honest in our communication conversation one with another. I don't want that to become a hindrance to my soul in enjoying the blessings of God. Then he deals with enemies in verse 46. He says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And so... He tells us to love our enemies. And so we deal with people uh, differently uh, than what the world does. And uh, we know that God loves the world. That's why Jesus came into this world and he loved them when they were sinners. He loved us when we were sinners. And so, uh, yes, there are those that are maybe our enemies, those that are without Christ. We need to love, love them like Christ loved them. And so in the middle of all these 48 verses in chapter 5, we have verse 29 and verse 30, where Jesus says, If thy eye offend thee, to pluck it out. He says, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Why? Because he does not want, he does not want us to have anything in our life that will hinder our relationship with the Lord. So what is hindering your relationship with God when it comes to salvation. I often talk to people when I try to lead them to the Lord and they won't get saved. I ask them point blank, what's stopping you from trusting Christ? What's hindering you? There is something that is blocking your ability to believe on Christ. When you think about serving the Lord, what's hindering you from surrendering your life to do something for God? What's, what's stopping you from saying, okay, Lord, whatever it is you want to do in my life, whatever it is you want me to accomplish for your glory, I'm willing to do that. What is it? Because the reality is Jesus said, don't let anything to be an offense to you that's going to stop you from trusting Christ or stop you from serving the Lord uh, because there is a reward, there are blessings in surrendering to God and it hinders your relationship with the Lord when these things come in. And so... He concludes the chapter with the only perfection that is there is Christ. Therefore, uh, uh, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
And so everything about our relationship with God is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus is presenting to us in chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, the relationships that we must develop with each other is going to be able to be experienced through our relationship with Christ. So first of all, we want to think about this. When we, appro we approach God through Jesus Christ, and uh, so if, listen, if my hand or my eye or whatever it may be in my life is hindering me from trusting Christ as my Savior, uh, it's going to be impossible and very impractical to say I'm going to have a proper relationship with God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so that means every part of my relationship that I have with God is based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. People often say, well, I, I want to walk with God. I believe in God. I love God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. That is, that is an impossibility. You cannot be right with God without being right with Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we find that many of the Pharisees, uh, uh, many look to the Pharisees as a means through which that they were going to have their righteousness. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 9, the Pharisees uh, told Jesus, said, think, uh, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist is dealing here with the Pharisees, says, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And so uh, the, the uh, many were looking to those in their ancestry uh, in order as a means of being able to say, I'm right with God because of the fact of who I am and where I came from. We have Abraham as our father. Now, you can't look at the Pharisees. You can't look at Abraham. You can't look at genealogical experiences because our relationship must come through Christ and Christ alone. Years ago, I was witnessing to a Mormon lady, and uh, as I was talking to her, she told me this. Uh, she said, uh, well, pastor, you need to realize that I believe in Jesus Christ like you believe in Jesus Christ. And I told her, I said, whoa, whoa, let's just cut the chase here. Uh, let's go to the bottom line. I said, the reality is that what you believe about Jesus Christ and what I believe about Jesus Christ is absolutely two different things. And she looked at me and she said, well, you're right. And she said this, I never forgot this, and, and this was probably 15 years ago. And she said this to me, she said, but you need to realize that my genealogies trace all the way back to the wagon trains going to Utah. And through my ancestry, I enjoy my salvation. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I hate to be blunt with you, but the reality is you cannot boast in your ancestry because your relationship with God is based upon who Jesus Christ is and your relationship with Christ. And I told her, I said, you're lost and you need to be saved. You need to trust Christ as your savior. And she did not get saved. And, and I've, I've oftentimes the Lord has brought her to my mind and I have prayed for her over the years. I have no idea where she is now. And but I, listen, many people look to their ancestry. They look to Abraham. They look to their background. 
And Jesus is simply saying this, that is an offense. That is hindering your soul. That is stopping you for having a right relationship with me so that you may have the proper relationship with the Father in heaven. And so uh, we need to be careful about depending on our background as a means of uh, getting us to heaven. Not only did many look to the Pharisees, but many trusted in the law. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, the law, listen, cannot save you. Paul was aware of the fact that the law revealed the condemnation was on man. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, the apostle Paul says this, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. The law couldn't deliver anybody, but the law taught us that we needed Christ. He says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so Paul was very aware of the fact that he could not depend. He lived a, a great portion of his life depending on the fact that he was striving to keep the law. And uh, when he came in contact with Christ, he realized very quickly that the law was there for one simple purpose and reason, and that was to teach him what his need was. And uh, when the, you read the Ten Commandments and you read the laws of God and you say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to try to keep all these things. The reality is James chapter 2 in verse 10 says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to get the people to realize they need to identify what was hindering their soul from coming to Christ. And he's saying this, whatever it is, you need to be dramatic in eliminating that in your life because you endanger your soul in hellfire if there is something that offends thee and keeps you away from a proper relationship. And so I thought of this, in light of he deals with those that look to the Pharisees and those who look to the law, just as a simple question each of us have to answer, what's hindering us? What, is, what hinders your relationship with the Lord and your walk with God? And uh, he talks about the hand, he talks about the eye, and I just thought of this. Is it the hand of good works that hinders you? In Titus chapter 3, in uh, verse 5, Paul reminds us that it's not by our works of righteousness uh, that saves us. And uh, second, uh, I guess it would be nice if I got over Titus instead of Timothy. But anyway, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. And we have to be careful. Baptists have to be careful because Baptists like to boast about the righteous things they do. And they have developed this mindset, we've developed this mindset that if I do more righteous acts, that I'm more spiritual. But the reality is our righteous acts are not what makes us spiritual. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so it, watch out if all you're gonna do is boast about the things that you're doing, the things that you're doing become a hindrance to your relationship with God and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the hand of good works. I thought about the eye of lust and passion. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 5, 17, the, flesh, the spirit and the flesh are contrary one towards another. 
there is that constant challenge and constant uh, struggle that we have that our eyes get consumed with the lust of the flesh and with the world in which we live. And because of that, it always draws us away from our relationship with Christ. And if that becomes a hindrance, you need to cut it off. If the internet is a hindrance to you, you need to stop going on the internet. Uh, if your phone and your phones are a hindrance, I'm telling you, if your phones is a, are a hindrance to you, you need to turn the thing off. You need to get rid of it. And uh, so what is capturing your eye, your attention, uh, and drawing you away from your walk with the Lord? I thought about the feet that walk in the wrong direction. In Psalm 86 and verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And uh, it's, it's amazing what is going on in hindering so many different church ministries and hindering so many believers in Christ. And it's because our feet are going down a wrong path because we have forgotten what the Lord teaches us. We have forgotten about the path that God has established for us to live. We have thought, forgot about the truth of the Word of God. And we need to once again turn back to God and say, Lord, you teach me, help me to learn what is right and what's just and what is good and uh, that I might be able to walk on a path that is correct. But then I thought of this, an attitude that is not teachable. In Psalm 51 and 10, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And uh, he needed God to do something in changing his spirit. And uh, his spirit could be changed if he'd have a teachable spirit about him. And uh, Jesus said this, Don't let your eye, don't let your hand offend thee and hinder your soul from being right with the Lord. Whatever it is that's stopping you, cut it off. Get it out of your life so that you might have a proper reproach, I mean a proper approach and blessing of, in the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we approach God through Jesus. I see another thing here. We develop a mutual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, in Matthew chapter 11, in uh, verse 28 and 29, uh, Jesus helps us understand this uh, dependence that we should have on him. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's total dependence. Uh, you can throw your, the, your cares on the Lord, dependence, developing a mutual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you can depend on the Lord. I don't care what stage of life you're in, whether you're a young person launching out and starting out a new life and a new family, God can take care of you. Or if you're older and you're coming to the end of life and you say, well, I don't know whether the Lord can still work in my life. Yes, he can. You depend on Christ. And if I'm going to be able to enjoy the fullness of God's move in my life, it's going to be a refreshing relationship that's mutually based upon the fact that Christ offers me the help that I need and I turn to him and I depend upon him. And so dependence, but also meekness. In John chapter 13, when Jesus is meeting with his disciples, 
and he washes the feet of his disciples in John 13 and verse 14, it's a challenge and example for them. He says, if I then, your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And having a spirit of meekness, uh, certainly you cannot accomplish much for God if you're consumed with pride. You cannot accomplish much for the Lord in growing in your relationship with the Lord if all you're worried about is yourself being exalted and lifted up. We need to have a spirit of meekness that says whatever it is that I can do for someone else, I'm willing to do that for them. And I just know this, that the Lord can help us get through every situation. Uh, yesterday I was in the grocery store. I don't like to admit that, but I was. And I ran into somebody who used to come to church here years ago, and they moved out of the area. And uh, uh, they saw me, and they were like, Pastor Weigel, I can't believe you're in here. And I felt like saying, I can't believe I'm in here either, amen. Don't tell anybody I'm here. Uh, but anyway, I got to talk to them for a little bit, and and they had moved to Florida, and now they're back into this area and everything. And I just I encouraged them. I said, I remember when they were here, they had a lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties, and we tried to be a help and doing a lot of things. And I told them, I said, listen, if you need anything, if there's ever anything that you need, you get a hold of us. She was like, you still over at Ocean County? I said, yeah, I'm still there. They haven't thrown me out yet, <laughs> amen. And uh, But having a willing heart to say, whatever you need, I'll do it for you. That's what Christianity is. That's what a life that's dependent upon God is, is knowing this, that God gives us opportunities where we can serve one another and reach out and help one another. We do that in meekness. We do it in oneness. In John chapter 17, uh, Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays that they might be one as he and the Father are one. And he says in verse 23 of John 17, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one. We're not made perfect in division. We're made perfect in oneness. And he goes on to say this, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. The reality of the revelation that we have a proper relationship with God is based upon the fact that we have the mind of Christ and because we have the mind of Christ, we are connected completely with each other, encouraging and strengthening and helping one another. So there's dependence, meekness, oneness, and then there's goodness. Paul says this in Acts chapter 10, in verse 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Uh, going about doing good. Our relationship with the Lord is based upon a mutual relationship through Christ, demonstrating the very character of God. As he cares for us, we care for others also. And so we, de we develop a mutual relationship with God. And then I thought of this, our actions are godly through Jesus Christ. Godly through Jesus Christ. And by that, I mean this, and you can't help but see that in the chapter as you're reading through this. Uh, we're, we are opposite to the world's ideal. And we're not trying to structure ourselves and fit into the ideals that the world has. 
I think it's one of the big struggles in the Christian life in 2019. I think many churches are struggling with this as you look at trends in churches and what things are developing in churches. And it's like we feel it's necessary to embrace the ideals of the world. In reality, we're, we're opposite to that. Uh, we're not like the world at all. And here's some thoughts. The world's philosophy is to get even. So once somebody goes, does you wrong, you get even with them. And that is not what Christ presented in the Sermon on the Mount uh, by no stretch of the imagination. Matter of fact, he says, if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And he said, don't, don't, don't hold back. If he sues you and takes everything that you have, go ahead and give him what else that you have. And, uh, and so he said, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, uh, go with him to twain. And the Roman soldiers, under Roman rule and law, had the authority that if they were had something that needed to be carried, they could require of the Jew to carry it for them for a mile. And, and Jesus is saying this, If they require for you to carry that for a mile, don't say a mile and I'm giving up. No, go with them two miles. In other words, go above and beyond what, what the soldiers are asking and requiring of you. And so the world says get even where God says forgive. Now you think about the, the difficulties of Rome uh, dealing with and overshadowing the people of Israel, but God said to forgive. And that's why Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And oftentimes people say, well, I just need, you need to know how I feel about the matter. No, you don't. No, I don't. The reality is when Jesus was reviled, the tendency in the world is, listen, you need to get even, you need to get your feelings expressed and you express them, but no, God says forgive. And so when Christ was reviled, he held his mouth and did not revile again. The world says, you need to be filled with lust. The world says you need to be filled with lust. The world lives by the drive of the lust. But the reality is, God says, be, be pure. Be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. And so because of that, Jesus Christ, when he was tempted, he was without sin. And so the Sermon on the Mount is helping us to uh, understand uh, the parallel, I should say, or the opposition be more appropriate of saying what the world's ideals are and what God's ideals are are completely opposite. And so the world does all that it can to satisfy all the lust that it has. And the Christian, however, following the example of Christ, lives our life in the reality that, wait a minute, God has saved us. He has delivered us. He has called us out of sin. And so we're going to live according to the testimony of God's deliverance in our life. Notice also that the world says to love your friends. And oftentimes people respond based on, well, I'll like you if you like me, you know, on, on the internet and on Facebook and on our phones. And well, if so-and-so is my friend and, and, you know, if they don't do everything I want them to do, they don't say everything. They didn't respond to my picture I put on. So I'm going to defriend them. The world says you need to love your friends. Everybody's doing everything that you want and responding in every way that you desire them to do. But God says, love your enemies. 
That, that's a difficult situation. I was listening to the testimony of a girl whose father was a pastor in Iran who was martyred for his faith. I was listening to that on the radio the other day on the voice of the martyrs. And it was amazing, her testimony of how they live for God in, in the midst of persecution. And yet when the soldiers would tell her father not to preach in the name of Christ, he still preached in the name of Christ. And he was imprisoned and he was tortured and he was executed. Uh, but he loved his enemies. Those who were the tormentors, he reached out, literally, uh, the organization that sent him into Iran said, you know, it's getting too dangerous for you. You need to come home. And he said, no, I need to stay here and show them the love of Jesus Christ. And see, God's approach to relationships is completely different than the approaches of the world. The world says, love your friends. God says, love your enemies. That's why Jesus, when Judas came into the garden, Jesus called Judas friend. Why? Because he was demonstrating how you love the one who's about ready to betray you and do you harm. We love one another, but we love our enemies also. So the world is opposed to the character of Christ. And in chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is helping us to understand these principles that he presents here go diametrically completely opposite and opposing to what the world says. It's not compatible for us to be in the world and responding like the world. So our actions are godly through Christ. John's desire, the apostle John's desire in John 3.30 was he said this, he must increase and I must decrease. And the desire of the believer in light of Matthew 5 and in light of our relationship with God through Christ is that everything about us must point towards exalting and lifting up Christ and we ourselves becoming more and more insignificant because Christ is our all-sufficiency. He is everything. He is all in all. So John's desire. The Apostle Paul's motivation was the same. His desire it was, his motivation, his excitement for preaching the Word of God. Paul's motivation was simply that he wanted Christ, he wanted to gain the knowledge of Christ. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. Paul was motivated by the desire to know who Christ is. And you can't help but read Matthew chapter 5 and say, wait a minute, this is, this is an extreme type of living. This is a different type of living. Uh, how in the world can I accomplish this? You accomplish it through Christ. So what, what's, what's hindering your soul? What's hindering you for to be completely surrendered to Christ? What attitudes have overcome you? What actions are dominating you? You know, the message of John the Baptist was to repent. The message of Jesus Christ was to repent. The message of Peter was repent. The message of the Apostle Paul says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And I really believe the message that God has for us as he outlines this message on how man ought to relate to God through Jesus Christ, 
The only way that I can fulfill Matthew chapter 5 is I've got to repent. So if my eye offend me, pluck it out. Whatever's coming in through the eye gate that's not appropriate, it's not feeding your soul, it's hindering your soul, cut it out. Get rid of it. But also, whatever is in thy hand, if thy hand offend thee, whatever you're doing, whatever the process is you're fulfilling right now, and it's hindering your walk with God, it's drawing you away from God, then cut it off. Get it out of your life. Why? Because we certainly want to walk with God and live in the realm of the blessings of God. I don't want to do anything to hinder my soul. What's hindering you this morning? Be willing to get it out of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We appreciate the blessings of God on us. Lord, there's so much that uh, we fall short in, and we need the grace of God. We need the mercy of God to help us. And Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would reveal to us anything uh, that is in any way frustrating the testimony of God in us that we might be able to confess it forsake it Lord repent of it and be able to fulfill uh, the call of God and the commands of God to bring forth praises unto our God in heaven and so Lord I pray for someone not saved as we sing this invitation song that they might come and receive Christ I pray Lord you would continue to bless us and speak to our hearts as believers that we might be able to be refreshed and renewed, rejuvenated, revived, Lord, as the Spirit of God moves upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's